with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Well, there is a little bit of haze out there today, which is a kind of a pleasant change, keeping the temperature down a little bit. And, of course, they're saying we might get some showers this afternoon and, of course, thunderstorms as well, just to go with it. Alan Wishart in the host chair, Steve on the board, as usual, on Wednesday. Got a full show lined up, and we're going to get things started all the way from the top of the hill. Dr. Mark Gruel joins us. He is with UNBC School of Planning and sustainability. Yeah. Now, should we tell them about that little change that we had to make in the... Uh, yeah, the, for yes. sure. Uh, thanks <laughs> thanks very much. Uh, happy to be here, Alan, from the School of Planning and Sustainability. Although, uh, as you note, the press release said the uh, School of Planning or Sustainability. Yeah. And uh, we do like to do both planning and sustainability at the same time up there. So yeah, you don't, want to be, you don't want to be making the plan and then saying, okay, we're just going to let it go for the next 50 years. Yeah, Who cares? Uh, we think we could do both. Yeah. And now... What are, which aspect of that, or are you covering both of them in this new project you've got going? Yeah, the uh, new project uh, that was part of the press release mm-hmm. uh, focuses a lot on uh, planning for accessibility uh, and inclusivity in outdoor tourism and recreation mm-hmm. spaces. There is uh, very much uh, a planning angle to that, thinking mm-hmm. about the, the types of information we need to plan these spaces in an inclusive way, uh, and a sustainability dimension to ensuring we do that in a way that supports uh, conservation and stewardship. But uh, a huge piece of the, the sustainability part there, I think, is the uh, the equity aspect. So yeah. ensuring that the planning of these spaces uh, makes them available and, and usable to uh, all members of society to all extents possible. So I'm guessing one place locally that's already got that basically in place is the ancient forest. Yeah. With all of the boardwalks they've yeah, got. Yeah, you're, you're bang on. When uh, people ask for an example or a, a case study where uh, things are done really, really well from a mm-hmm. universal design perspective in a very natural space, yeah. the ancient uh, forest boardwalk comes up often and also a really great local story in terms of how that project to get came together with uh, local groups kind of leading the charge so it's a it's a great example yeah so now so you've got a study going on then on access and sustainability accessibility and sustainability then for outdoors areas now in the Prince George area specifically what does that include is that sort of everything outside city limits is sort of what you're looking at uh, not exclusively, although that's a pretty good read, I mm-hmm. think, of uh, of the project. Um, we're quite interested in more rural, remote-type uh, yeah. outdoor tourism and recreation spaces, so that might be some of the really amazing trail systems we have uh, outside our city limits. Uh, could be aspects of our uh, national park system, mm-hmm. provincial park mm-hmm. system. So we're really, really interested in those types of uh, really amenity-rich uh, and biodiversity-rich spaces that people connect to for all kinds of health reasons. Uh, but that's not to say we're not also interested in, in spaces with inside uh, mm-hmm. city boundaries. Now, the accessibility aspect, that does not necessarily mean that people who have accessibility issues are going to be able to go everywhere in an area that someone without those issues can go, right? Like, you're not going to be putting trails all over the place just to make them accessible. Yeah, I think the... 
thinking about accessibility in outdoor spaces, particularly, you know, really uh, backcountry spaces requires mm-hmm. uh, fairly nuanced thinking uh, about how we can improve accessibility and, and inclusivity. Uh, some aspects of it are uh, thinking more from a, an infrastructure and universal design perspective. Again, the ancient forest boardwalk mm-hmm. is a, a really, really great example. But we also have some uh, really leading examples here in northern BC where uh, use of adaptive technology like trail riders are mm-hmm. enabling uh, more inclusive access mm-hmm. to real backcountry areas that uh, would have been, uh, you know, potentially beyond the the reach of many members of society. But when you're talking backcountry areas and accessibility, that's also where that other part of it, the sustainability comes in a little bit because, again, you don't want people just using the trail riders all over the place. There have to be limits for where they can go. Yeah, I think the the implementation of an ad, of an adaptive technology like uh, trail riders right now, uh, I think probably would take place on existing trails mm-hmm. infrastructure. Uh, I think it's really important to recognize that one of the big shifts that we need to see, uh, in, you know, in our planning and management of these spaces, and to be honest, in society writ large, is we need to start to see uh, whether it's adaptive. Um, uh, technology like trail riders or other adaptive technology as a totally normal and natural part of, of nature spaces. Mm-hmm. These are enabling technologies that allow uh, you know a greater segment of society to use these spaces, and we really need a mind shift to to understand that you know these technologies belong in nature uh, as much as uh, members of society who might have a disability belong in nature as a very natural part of mm-hmm. uh, of the continuum of society that we live in. Now, is this the first study you're aware of that's covered this? Because I think you're doing it province-wide, aren't you, basically? Yeah, we're uh, we're looking uh, at field work that will take us all around the, the province to outdoor tourism mm-hmm. and recreation spaces. But uh, I think the piece that is um, novel and important at the moment uh, is the focus on accessibility standards within the project. Mm. And I can't go any further without acknowledging Access BC and Spinal Cord Injury BC, uh, their team, uh, Nancy Harris, who's uh, a lead mm-hmm, for Access yes. BC. You know, so much of the work uh, that we're doing on this project stems out of about a, you know, short-term, five, six-year history of them building up this work and an even longer history of their involvement in things like measuring up the north. Mm-hmm. Um so the, the focus on standards is quite unique. Uh, it's been driven by Access BC. I'm really honored and privileged as an academic to get to try and support <laughs> with our academic tools some of that work. Um, but we did, as a more academic exercise, uh, recently complete. It's not peer-reviewed, not published yet, so I'll acknowledge that. But we completed a, a scoping review that looked at, or it started looking at, about 1,800 different papers um, that were about those types of rural and remote mm-hmm. natural spaces, so spaces beyond our city limits. And we were very interested in, you know, what research had been done on accessibility standards. How do you, you know, advance this work? How do you advance it in a way that it integrates? with conservation and sustainability. We narrowed all that down to about 41 relevant studies, <laughs> and we found uh, very few uh, direct and specific studies looking at accessibility standards in these type of rural spaces. Only about four studies had actually reported about using standards or developing standards for these types of spaces. So there's lots of work to do. And now the standards that these different reports did, because each of them was obviously then by a different group, I'm guessing, did you find that the standards weren't standard across the board? 
Yeah, that's, uh, I think, a pretty good read. Hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. those uh, small number of studies that were using standards were from uh, a number of different countries. Mm-hmm. So the Czech Republic, uh, for instance, uh, one from the U.S., So the standards for a particular type of infrastructure even can uh, vary. So Mm -hmm. the standard for a trail width, trail slope, for instance, can vary uh, over jurisdictions. But it's, uh, I think, encouraging and important to to understand that right now in Canada, there's really great uh, federal work going on trying to develop national standards for federal spaces. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, some of that work uh, led by the task force will focus on standards for the outdoors. So I think there's uh, definitely an option. Uh, maybe even we could be bold enough to say movement to try and look at making standards uh, somewhat seamless across the country so that if you're a visitor who's looking to, you know, plan a road trip across uh, mm-hmm. Canada and you happen to have a disability of some type, you know that you can you'll experience the the same types of infrastructures and, you know, supporting yeah. services right across the country. And it shouldn't be any other way. Or even if you're from inside the country, if you're from Prince George and you're going on a trip to Ontario, it would be nice to know that if you are interested in getting out into the back country, that you will have the same standards there as you had here and got used to. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that uh, that ought to be the the goal. So, are you? <laughs> so, the study that you're on right now, how long has this been going on, and how long is it going to go on? Uh, so, this study, <laughs> mm-hmm. I hesitate because it's um, a, a bit of a two part uh, answer. Mm-hmm. So this study we just received funding for the, this spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're only about a month into the study. We've already ran uh, a really great workshop with uh, a number of uh, tourism and recreation partners mm-hmm. uh, across BC to start to plan some of our, our field work. Mm-hmm. This particular study will run for uh, the next three years. But uh, the second part of this is that this study builds on a previous smaller project that um, I partnered with uh, Spinal Cord Injury BC and a few other academics like Dr. Chris Lemieux uh, and Dr. Shannon Freeman on. And that previous study, again, looked at standards, was smaller in scope, but led to that scoping review that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so all told, we've been collaborating uh, with Spinal Cord Injury BC and now a far broader network of partners for about four to five years already, and we got three more years of funding on this project. Wow. So now it's province-wide, and you're saying there's going to be a lot of, obviously, field work on this. Is the field work going to be basically your responsibility? Like, are you going to be sort of overseeing the field work, at least in all the areas? Or do you have people who you trust enough in other areas of the province that they can do the work? Yeah, uh, definitely lots of trust throughout the partner mm-hmm. network and beyond. There are uh, lots of great people across the province doing this type of accessibility auditing work. Uh, Nancy Harris and her team are always doing training and education, mm-hmm. trying to grow that network. Um, the way that field work will uh, unfold in this project really kind of leans into the community-based research model mm. that we've tried to adopt. No. So we very much tried to build a project that isn't about us up on the hill dictating mm-hmm. how things should be done. <laughs> Down in the valley. Yeah. Yes. It's about us trying to you know support from behind and recognize where community leadership is telling us we should go. 
So in that spirit, what uh, our plans for field work are, are for uh, myself, other academic members of the, the research team, but also in Nancy and the Access BC team and some of those frontline uh, tourism and recreation partners like Northern BC Tourism, mm. uh, Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association, to have some of their members join us in the team so we could do the field work jointly and have them tell us as you know frontline practitioners how we can improve these processes so that the evidence we collect around accessibility standards can be really, really usable for them from a planning and management perspective. And I'm thinking one of the things you've got in BC, especially, uh, and especially in northern BC, where we have like about, what, six or seven different seasons, is you have to take that into account too, don't you, with accessibility for the outlying areas. Because like right now, people could go out to certain areas and be able to walk or hike or whatever, or even probably take their wheelchair along a lot of trails. During the winter, they might not be able to. So you've got to sort of account for that. Yeah, I think um, it's a really good indication of one of the things that a lot of the literature is saying. Uh, I use terms like planning and management here, Mm -hmm. but um, a huge part of this, particularly in the winter season, uh, is about maintenance. Mm. You know, simply doing things like uh, snow clearing in a predictable way that's going to ensure paths are are open for for all individuals. Mm And uh, one of the things we did in that past project, sorry, was uh, run a workshop uh, at the British Columbia Protected Areas Research Forum where we actually listened to practitioners tell us, mm-hmm. you know, what does this look like from the front line? Mm-hmm. And a, a big piece that came up from them is saying, you know, accessibility goals need to be tied to the idea of maintenance accountability. So all the way through maintenance planning with an organization, we have to embed that accessibility lens. So... You're not asking for extra accessibility in these cases. Like if a if a group has has worked with you and in their particular area they've got a good trail system and it is accessible, you're not saying, okay, during the winter, if you wouldn't ordinarily clear those areas because nobody uses them, we're not asking you to go out and clear them just to make sure that they are accessible. Would that be a fair assumption to make? Yeah, I think uh, what I would pick up on there is the the word ordinarily, and I think mm-hmm. it would where that would take me is that we shouldn't think of maintenance, accountability, and accessibility as only catering to a you know a population yeah. of persons with a disability. You know that type of maintenance is good for all members of society mm-hmm. who might want to to access our tourism recreation spaces in the winter. So again, we need to. I think it's really important through this project and, again, in that broader societal mindset to to get beyond the current kind of binary thinking about segments of society to recognizing we simply have a continuum uh, of members of society with different needs and things like universal design and uh, accessibility really benefit that entire continuum. So what is, is there sort of, because we're talking about the ancient forest as already being a very nice example of accessibility for a rural or a backcountry area. Is there sort of an area in the Prince George region that you're looking at now as being sort of the focus for maybe a bit of a study in terms of getting it to that same standard? 
I'll uh, I'll unfortunately probably be a little bit coy here because we're oh. uh, quite literally in the the process of planning where our mm. field work yeah. sites are. But I think I can give uh, a, maybe a, a somewhat satisfactory <laughs> answer in that the approach that we're taking is really trying to to focus on what are the most valued and iconic destinations mm-hmm. in our outdoor spaces, whether in northern BC or other regions of mm-hmm. the the province. You know. We have a, an incredible endowment of outdoor spaces in BC. Yeah. We know this. Uh, they're not accessible and usable by um, all members of society. And, you know, we think that those really incredibly highly valued spaces should be a, a, an early focus for this type of accessibility work. Mm-hmm. So a bit of a coy answer. There, well, but. to be expected, because you said actually to some extent in the planning, you're still in the very early stages of the planning on this particular part of the yeah. project. So. Dr. Mark Gruel from UNBC School of Planning and Sustainability. Thank you very much for coming in and letting us know what you're doing to make the outdoors accessible for everyone. Thanks so much, Alan. A real pleasure. Okay. Take a quick break. Be back with more after nine. I'm Ringo and I play the drums. Uh, I'm Paul and I play the uh, uh, bass. I'm George and I play a guitar. I'm John and I too play a guitar. Sometimes I play the fool. Join me Fridays at 8 p.m. for Apple Scruffs. From their early years to their solo careers, we delve into the history and trivia of when they was found. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their series of online webinars. Everyone is encouraged to learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians through their website, alzbc.org. While there, you can also register for their free webinars or watch previous presentations. The next webinar is Activities for Warmer Weather, this afternoon from 2 to 3. The Alzheimer's Society of BC, bringing you support and information for dementia at alzbc.org. Celebrate Dominion Day at Hubble Homestead through Saturday. Stop by the historic site to collect your self-guided activity and craft kits, enjoy a complimentary butter tart or piece of cake, and learn more about Canada and our region as you explore the exhibits. To really get your hands on history, pre-book space for Heritage Skills demonstrations July 1st or 3rd. That's Dominion Day celebrations through Saturday at Hubble Homestead, 40K North off Highway 97 on Mitchell Road. Forecast from Environment Canada, sunny and hazy this morning, increasing clouds this afternoon with a 30% chance of showers, a high of 34 with a very high UV index. Showers this evening with the risk of a thunderstorm, then partly cloudy, winds gusting to 70K near thunderstorms, clearing overnight, a low of 17. For Thursday, a mix of sun and cloud with a 60% chance of showers or thunderstorms in the afternoon, a high of 29 with a very high UV index. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And it's been very hot the last few days, so what better thing to do than talk hockey? And we did that last Thursday evening with Fraser Rogers from the Prince George Cougars, and we're going to play that interview now. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it feels like uh, we're in the dead of summer now, the heat wave approaching, you know, it's barbecue season, it's... It's going to the lake on weekend time, but uh, here we are talking about the frozen game and talking some hockey. Well, I guess the NHL playoffs are still yeah. in the thick of it, so it's appropriate. Yeah. Now, one thing before we get started, because the big thing we want to talk about, of course, is the schedule for the upcoming season. Mm-hmm. But I think you guys have got some stuff happening this summer already, don't you? Yeah. Well, you know, lots of you know, lots of things are in the works right now. Um, uh, you know, schedule obviously just came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, hockey school is coming up uh, in August for the 
for this team and something we're excited to bring back for you know minor hockey players not in just Prince George but here in, in the central interior and in, in the Caribou region we have you know young kids boys and girls that come from you know, west of Prince George north of Prince George east and south you know we get kids all the way from Williams Lake to come up for that hockey school at the end of August so that's coming up uh, at the end of August, you can go to our website, pgcougars.com right now. There's a hockey school registration page. Um, it's a week-long uh, hockey school on and off-ice activities. Uh, Cougars coaching staff, including Mark Lamb, the GM head coach, will be there to be mentor and provide his tutelage to these young hockey players. So that's a big thing. And then coming back after one-year hiatus as well, uh, coming up next month is our annual golf tournament in partnership with the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation and, and Northland Dodd, big title sponsor. They help us out immensely and uh, a little different with COVID-19 protocols still in effect across our province. So it's a bit of a stripped-down mm-hmm. golf tournament from what we're used to, but we're still having a big opportunity on July the 10th uh, for teams to register and get their team in of four. All the proceeds go to the Northern Health, uh, Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation and Northern Health and and in particular, uh, fundraising for cardiac care uh, equipment here. So that's a big need in the north as well. So uh, that's a great cause. And uh, you can go to the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation's website um, to register your team today. Spots are already getting gobbled up quickly for the golf tournament. And also there will be a hole-in-one competition now at that tournament this year. And 10 people have a chance to shoot for $1 million if they think hole-in-one. Yeah, $1 million in cold, hard cash. So that will be something exciting we can talk about next month. Let me see a wild guess, though. I'm hoping it's not on one of the par fives. We don't. It's a par, it's a par three, <laughs> but there's a couple par threes at uh, Prince George Golf and Curling Club. Mm. And legally, I'm not even allowed to know, uh, due to insurance reasons, what hole it is. It's very secret. So there's no pre-game scouting report. Uh, I can give the listeners on what hole it will be. But, yeah, Spirit of North Healthcare Foundation's website will have registration uh, right now if you want to get your team in. It's obviously for a great cause, raising money for critically needed cardiac care equipment. So that's in July, the hockey school in August, and I'm thinking basically as soon as the little kids clear the ice, Mark Lamb turns around and starts yelling at the players from the Cougars as they start training camp. Yeah, training camp will be just after the September long week, and a bit of a different look. The WHL schedule that came out this week uh, features 68 games like it did yeah. before, but it's moved to an NHL calendar. It's going to start October, the first weekend. Mm-hmm. October 2nd is the Cougars' home opener against the Blazers at the CN Center. And then the season uh, is pushed back until the first weekend of April is the conclusion of the regular season. April 3rd against the Blazers <laughs> will be the Cougars' final game on a Sunday at home. They start the season at home and end the season at home against the Kamloops Blazers. Uh, a six-month schedule, much like you see in the NHL. Yeah. I know typically the WHL would start uh, two weeks earlier in uh, late September, but... Uh, just with COVID-19 and then the pandemic and the bubble just wrapping up in late May, they want to uh, kind of reset the schedule. And it sounds like this will probably be the window uh, for the WHL going forward, regardless of the COVID pandemic oh. or not. I think they're, they're going to stick to this October to April window. And then the playoffs start uh, April 7th, that uh, second Friday in April. So now one thing I did notice that I'm, I'm ho- kind of hoping, I'm sure a lot of farms are hoping as well, will not be the WHL sort of protocol going forward. There's no interlock this year. Mm-hmm. That will just be a one-year thing. It was more of a financial decision for the teams that obviously were severely mm-hmm. impacted financially without having fans for a full year. And 
being dark essentially no. for a full year when it comes to your business operations. And uh, to, one way to save money is just playing within your conference. So the Western Conference will play the Western Conference. That means the Cougars play the four other BC Division teams, Victoria, <laughs> Vancouver, Kelowna, Kamloops, 12 times each. Then they'll play their cross-border counterparts in the U.S. Division four times each. So that's Portland, Everett, Seattle, Spokane, and Tri-City. So um, it's going to be uh, still a very competitive schedule. There's some very good teams. The West, uh, when you look at the rosters going into next year, um, but it won't be that central trip to Alberta or Saskatchewan that you see the Cougars take uh, semi-annually. So um, different look to the schedule, but uh, all indications that will point to a full interlock coming back for September of, or October, I should say, mm-hmm. of 2022. Now, the other thing you were noting, uh, you guys open the season against the Blazers October 2nd. You mm-hmm. finish the season against the Blazers April 3rd, and you also technically finish the year against the Blazers. <laughs> yeah, something new. It hasn't been done in my time, and uh, I can't remember the last time the Cougars, off the top of my head, had a New Year's Eve game at home. It could have happened, but... Uh, looking at my records, it's the first time in several years that they'll play a New Year's Eve game at home, mm-hmm. a special 5 o'clock start as well, Al. So it's a great opportunity for families to come out together, mm-hmm. bring the kids out for an earlier start, and you know, kids can go home to the babysitter and mom and dad can continue to have their fun night, uh, a, a child-free night, if you will, mm-hmm. if that's what they want to do. And there's some uh, preliminary discussions uh, about having uh, a post-game um, get-together Obviously, we hope with uh, COVID-19 protocols being eased as we get into December, they should be not a problem to have some sort of New Year's Eve bash with the Cougars postgame as well. Um, I can't confirm any, anything yet. It's only June, but mm-hmm. already there's discussions with a few local restaurants about potentially doing that and having a, a real festive night. And that'll be a fun way to say goodbye to 2021. Obviously, it's been extremely challenging for everyone, you know, personally, financially, health-wise. Uh, you know, mental health as well. So it's a great way to think to say goodbye to 2021 mm-hmm. and say hello to 2022 by being at the rink, watching a great hockey game and having a great time afterwards. So that will be fun. In fact, it's the first time since I've been a part of the team that there's been uh, games during the holiday season at home. There's a doubleheader prior to that New Year's Eve game against Everett on December 28th and 29th. So that's a great opportunity for you know kids that are home from high school and home from college and families visiting that can get together, go to a hockey game and have a good time during that holiday season. And we, we really hope to have a great festive atmosphere with those holiday games and obviously highlighted by the New Year's Eve bash. Well, that's what I was going to mention was not just the New Year's Eve game, but the two against Everett. And that basically means the players don't get much of a break at Christmas, do they? <laughs> It'll be a little quicker than usual, but typically they don't get much of a break because usually we always start on the road, and that means mm-hmm. essentially our team always has to fly in to Vancouver from their Christmas break right on Boxing Day. Mm-hmm. Um, in my four years, they've been having Christmas dinner with my family and then getting on the bus and <laughs> driving down to Vancouver on Boxing Day and getting the, getting the team organized in the afternoon on Boxing Day then practicing on the 27th and then playing either a Vancouver or Victoria usually on the 28th. Uh, to get the season back going. So it's never really a long break, uh, you know, to seven days. And mm-hmm. you can, you know, pull the players, uh, you know, to a to a man, they all say it's long enough. I think they enjoy the first few days being at home, seeing family, you know, getting spoiled by mom and dad and relatives, and then they're wanting to get back to their teammates and get back to hockey. So it's a perfect break for everyone, and uh, it'll be great to have the season start in Prince George. And it'll be a huge mental plus for this team not to have that long road trip right after Christmas, and it's usually not until January 
but the Cougars are back home. Sometimes it's over a month between, you know, the Cougars play their final game at home before Christmas and then their first game after Christmas at home. So this is a great opportunity for fans to see this team, usually in a time they barely get to see them. That was the first part of the interview with Fraser Rogers from last Thursday's Post to Post. Take a quick break and be back, back with the second part after nine. Being physically active during extreme heat can put you at risk, even if you're healthy. Understanding how your body regulates temperature can help you prepare for extreme heat. Pay close attention to how you and those around you feel, stay cool and hydrated, and modify your activities whenever possible. For more information on how you can stay safe while being physically active during extreme heat, visit the Health Canada website through canada.ca. Advocate Life and Education Services is a hiring event coordinator. The organization is looking for someone who is passionate about their mission and excited about putting together the small details needed to make their events a success. Full details are available at advocate.ca. Applications will remain open until a suitable candidate is found. That's Advocate Life and Education Services looking to hire an event coordinator. Applications and inquiries can be emailed to marie at advocate.ca. An innovative fusion of indie rock and radio drama is now available online. Isolation Suite captures the soundscape of one character's descent into grayness. His reality gets incrementally darker, but a boundless creative spirit still circles around in scenes both heartbreaking and hilarious. Music is integral to the storytelling as we hear the experiences through sweet acoustic laments, jagged punk rants, and surrealist post-rock jams. Presented as a six-episode podcast, Isolation Suite is available free of charge at isolationsuite.ca. Next time you're out on the ocean, help save whales by reporting any sightings using the Whale Report app. By making submissions, you're contributing to the OceanWise BC Sighting Network, a database of more than 130,000 whale sightings spanning more than 50 years. This provides researchers with critical information about the health of whales, dolphins, porpoises, and sea turtles in the BC waters. For more information or to download the Whale Report app, visit the OceanWise website at ocean.org. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And we now return for the second part of the interview from last Thursday evening's Post to Post with Fraser Rogers from the Cougars. Now, before Christmas, is the schedule still the same for the Cougars as it usually is, where the last game or two before Christmas are on the road, so the players have the chance to finish those games and then hit hit the planes to get home? Yeah, you're right. Um, they'll finish in Vancouver uh, the final weekend before Christmas, uh, the week before Christmas, that final Sunday, as Christmas falls on the weekend this year. So, yeah, they'll finish in Vancouver on December 17th and then depart from Vancouver, fly wherever they live mm-hmm. back home, either Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, or, or even south of the border uh, with uh, some of American players on our roster. So that doesn't change at all. Um, but it'll be a nice uh, change post-Christmas to have the team home between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah, and again, that'll be uh, something. You were saying that talking to the players, it's usually after three or four days in the Christmas break, they're, they're thinking, yeah, it's time to get back. I'm wondering how much of that is they suddenly realize, I've already put on seven pounds from mom's cooking. Yeah, the first few practices are... Very important post-Christmas to work off the tryptophan, like to call the turkey hangover, for sure. So um, it'll be always a challenge when you have that seven-day break from, you know, the rigors of a schedule. Going into December, you're playing a lot of games, especially in early December. You're playing a ton of games right before Christmas. Usually you're playing about eight to ten games within 17 days. 
and then you go home for a seven-day break. You eat too much, have too many desserts, <laughs> maybe too much uh, fruitcake, and then you're all of a sudden the, the pants don't fit too well. So the, the practice right after Christmas are always very important. I always get a kick out of that first practice after the Christmas break. Um, it's not very pretty. It's more of a battle of will and determination not to, you know, throw up, uh, so to speak. But, uh, no, it, it's it's always a highlight to have those guys get to go home, see their family, and have that reset because the schedule gets super condensed. As you know, come January, it, it's a sprint to the finish line usually. Um, a lot of games in a short amount of time, so that break will be welcome. Now, you were saying usually the Cougars end up almost a lot of times being off for a month from like mid-December to mid-January. This year, they're off for pretty close to a month at the end of March. It's the, well, unfortunately, it's they're on the road. That's the only, yeah, it's the only difference this year is the World Curling Championships, which is great for Prince George. Yeah. And the city and curling fans, it's coming back after being postponed due to COVID a year ago. Um, the Women's World Curling Championship is back at the CN Centre. So the Cougars will have the final two weeks there of the regular season on a, a road trip, about six to seven games. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, we'll be on the road over those two weeks. But they do at least come back, as we mentioned earlier, that April 3rd, that final Sunday. At least they get to come back and have one more home game before potentially starting the playoffs the following weekend. Because this team... Uh, talking about playoffs, they, they they have playoff aspirations this year coming up with this young core. Um, so they don't want to be a bystander come spring. They want to be in those playoffs. So that April 3rd game will be a great post-curling tournament mm-hmm. to have the team back at home to wrap things up before hopefully the start of a playoff push. Now, I was looking at the schedule just before we came on, and the thing that I noticed was all of those games uh, mid-March until the very beginning of April – they were all in the BC division. You guys aren't even traveling across the border at that point. It's great this year. A lot of credit goes to Vice President uh, Andy Beasley and GM and head coach Mark Lamb. They worked together and they they worked really hard with the WHL schedule makers and the other uh, governors of the teams in the BC division to make sure you know they had a favorable schedule that was more fair than maybe it was in the past. I know in past years, Cougars have always seemed to get the short end of the stick when it comes to the schedule. And always kind of that, you know, younger brother type mentality that they kind of get picked on. Uh, but now that culture's really changed. Uh, Mark and Andy have done a really good job of kind of putting their foot down and kind of getting their voice heard with the other teams in the division and at the WHO office with the schedule. So, yeah, you're going to see a, a favorable travel schedule where the U.S. trips are done in really two shots. They mm-hmm. Mark really wanted to make this work. So uh, before Christmas, there's a week-long road trip through the U.S. Mm-hmm. division. And then post-Christmas... I believe in February, there's another week-long trip down to the U.S. division. That's it. So instead of going down the U.S. potentially six, eight times to play a couple teams, it's just two trips this year. It's a huge money saver as well. When you look at the economics of it for the, for the team on the business side, but it's also a huge competitive advantage. You're not getting that long trips in because there's been years where they've gone to, I remember uh, a few years ago, uh, they went to Tri-City twice in two weeks. It was just ridiculous. It was right around the Canadian Thanksgiving weekend, too, where they had to do two separate trips to Tri-City in a matter of two weeks, and that's just crazy when you look at an economic standpoint and a competitive standpoint. So, yeah, it's going to be different this year. 
finish within the division at the end of March and early April and uh, get those U.S. trips out of the way as well. Now, one last question, Fraser, before we let you go. Um, with the schedule the way it is, where all you're doing is playing the Western Conference teams, and I know this, this may not have come down yet, has the WHL said they will have separate Eastern and Western Division awards at the end of the season? That's a great question. I think we're going to see something like we just did with divisional yeah. awards from the, the hubs that we just completed. Um, there's nothing official, but you'd have to think there'll be a Western Conference Player of the Year. There'd be an Eastern Conference Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Goaltender, et cetera, et cetera, defenseman. You made the point. It's going to be basically two leagues playing within now think of baseball, right, in the American League and the National League underneath the MLB umbrella. So I think you can kind of look at it that way where you're going to have the West versus the East. Uh, and then I think you're going to see some awards that way. And there's also, I can't say it right now, but I know there's some rule changes in the works that will be announced later this summer. I'm sure you'll want me to come back on the show and talk about that. It will be pretty interesting for the viewers to hear about as well. So not just the awards to talk about, there'll be some uh, spicy rule changes to talk about as well. Fraser Rogers for the Prince George Cougars. Thank you very much for giving us a lot of information and leaving us looking for more. <laughs> that's, my, that's my job, isn't it? The cliffhangers. Thanks, Al. Appreciate it. Okay. That again, an interview from Thursday evening's Post to Post with Fraser Rogers from the Cougars. Take another quick break and be back with more after nine. Hubble Homestead's children's history book series now features a new book celebrating Claytley Tanay history. Set in the early 20th century, C.P. and the Fish Camp follows a young Claytley girl and her family through the seasons as they travel their territory gathering food and resources. Targeted to children ages 3 to 8, the book will also be enjoyed by art lovers and local history enthusiasts of all ages. C.P. and the Fish Camp is available at Hubble Homestead, Books and Company, Two Rivers Gallery, and the Railway and Forestry Museum. They aren't just Saturdays in Prince George this July. They're downtown Summerfest Saturdays, hosted by Downtown PG. With things opening up again, it's a great chance to head downtown, shop local, and have some fun. Take part in patios downtown, specials downtown, pets downtown, and bikes downtown, support local merchants, and maybe win a $500 gift certificate each Saturday starting July 10th. And don't forget, both downtown markets are open Saturdays as well. For more information on Downtown Summerfest Saturdays, visit downtownpg.com slash Saturdays. Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada is accepting applications for temporary workers in health care, temporary workers in other selected essential occupations, and international students who graduated from a Canadian institution. Applications will be accepted through November 5th or until the current limit has been reached. Intake streams for French-speaking or bilingual candidates have also been launched. Full details are available through the Immigration and Citizenship link at Canada.ca. Forecast from Environment Canada, sunny and hazy this morning, increasing cloudiness this afternoon with a 30% chance of showers, a high of 34 with a very high UV index. Showers this evening with the risk of a thunderstorm, then partly cloudy, winds gusting to 70K near thunderstorms, clearing overnight, a low of 17. For Thursday, a mix of sun and cloud with a 60% chance of showers or thunderstorms in the afternoon, a high of 29 with a very high UV index. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And the loosening of the restrictions. Again, step three, phase three, taking place tomorrow in B.C. means a lot of people, especially in the arts, will be looking and saying, hey, we can actually start doing stuff again. And the music, especially on the phone now with Britt A.M. Good morning, Britt. 
Good morning. How are you doing today? Not too bad. And yourself? Doing great, thanks. Now, the first thing I've got to ask, the record label that you started and still run is called Good Egg Records, correct? Correct. Have you tried in the last few days frying a good egg on the sidewalk? <laughs> it's been tempting. <laughs> I've seen a couple attempts pop up on my Instagram feed. Um, and I don't think it's quite that hot yet, believe it or not. So, or don't maybe tempt it. Don't surface. tempt it. Don't oh. tempt it. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we need to try car hoods or something because yes. the cement's not quite there. No. Yeah. Um, so, Good Egg Records. Now, now, you obviously, you're a singer-songwriter yourself, but this is a record label that you started up for other, is it basically Prince George artists who are on the label now? Um, mostly, yeah. I mean, um, Saltwater Hank, uh, you know, who was in Prince George mm -hmm. when uh, he joined the label, um, is now living in Prince Rupert. So, we've got a bit of reach there. And then we've got No Big D out of Quinell as well. So, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, we're, we're going through a pretty exciting transition um, <laughs> with Good Egg Records right now, which I can't say too much about at the moment. But, um, yeah, we're going to be expanding into, um, yeah, a different sort of uh, format. So I'm really looking forward to some things coming down the line there. But, um, yeah, we're hoping to serve um, more of the, like, Northern BC uh, regional artists, not just Prince George artists. So, um, so that's coming down the line. Yeah. So I guess that was... <laughs> Not really a good thing, but obviously with the pandemic, artists couldn't tour or anything, which probably gave you and the artists a little bit more time to talk, to think about these transitions you want to make. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it was time to, you know, kind of uh, be sad for a little while. Um, <laughs> most artists love to play and love to tour. Um, so, you know, once we get over that little bit of sadness, then it's, yeah, heading to the studio or just sitting down to write a new set of songs. Um, yeah, just more space to kind of contemplate career and, and how that looks. And um, yeah, so I mean, it's not, uh, the pandemic hasn't been kind to um, pocketbooks of uh, especially regional and emerging artists, but um but it has given a lot of folks an opportunity to kind of um, really take a step back and analyze their, like, next steps, for sure. Now, did you find a fair number of the artists on Good Egg Records found out that they could actually still produce music just from their home studio? Yeah, I think a lot of people transitioned into setting up, um, like, home rigs just to just to be able to collaborate. Um, like, I know that um, a, few, a few folks I know have actually collaborated just, like, uh, uh, by, you know, sending mm -hmm. tracks back and forth, um, that sort of thing. Um, and even, like, myself, I, like, my last um, EP that I just released in May, like, that was the product of my, like, little basement bedroom studio, you know? Like, it's, uh, it's uh, I think it's one of those things where people are just going to keep making the art um, and just kind of work around whatever restrictions we're dealing with. So uh, I think artists are artists, and they'll just continue to do what they do, Um and yeah, so it's it's that being said, it's also very great to see uh, restrictions lifting and mm -hmm. and see more opportunity to get out there and play again because yeah, um, you know, it's collaboration is a huge part of being an artist too, and that kind of um, has been a non option for the last little while. So because I know obviously we were not in a pandemic at the time, but I know a few years ago I would sometimes talk to artists and they were collaborating with other artists on say songwriting. But they would have to basically download the song, download the part that they had written onto a CD or like even a flash drive, send it to the other person and let them start working on it. Now, of course, you've got Zoom, so you can actually be doing it face-to-face. -face. Oh, for sure, yeah. As far as in the writing process goes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Zoom's really helpful for that. All those uh, sort of video hangout um, uh, platforms are really great for, for collaborating in that fashion, for sure. Yeah. Now... 
I'm not sure because I'm not a technical person. How would Zoom work if you were trying to do the actual um, playing of a song, like working together with each of you playing your instruments at the same time? Would Zoom be able to handle that? Okay, yeah. So, see, that's a bit of a trickier one because it really is dependent on everybody's internet connection. Mm. So, yeah. (laughs) So, if you have someone, um, you know, if you have even just the two people trying to collaborate over Zoom, if one person's got a bad um, internet connection and there's a bit of a lag, then that's going to be really hard to keep, um, you know, in time with with the rhythm of the song or what have you. So, yeah, that there there are challenges to collaborating live for sure. But um, I think a lot of people end up maybe, um, you know, collaborating, you know, like uh, pre-recording something and then releasing it later on. Um, that's a more surefire way to get a solid performance out there. So. But I was just thinking, if there was a lag, wouldn't you be able to just release the song anyways and call it New Age? Oh, hey, there we go. Yeah, experimental. Yep. Yeah. You know, like, really, art is art. It's all open to interpretation. <laughs> Nailed it. So you were saying you've got an EP now. Had you done anything on the EP at all before the pandemic, or is this a pandemic oh, EP? totally a pandemic EP. Mm. Yeah, I, I basically, um, I quit playing for a few months and just really felt totally bummed out by the whole situation and then yeah like in the fall I picked up my guitar again and started writing again and um, yeah so these songs are definitely uh, 100% uh, product of <laughs> the pandemic um, and it was just a thing where um, like I can sit on them and just kind of you know I have a bunch of songs that I've written and have never released will probably never release and um, I just felt that releasing something during this time would be a good um, a good marker of a very strange time now, are the songs themselves pandemic-related, or are they just, like, if people listen to these songs, and we will be listening to one of them a little bit later on, if they listen to a song like Catch a Breath, and they've heard some of your previous stuff, would they be going, well, that's different? For sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the main factors for that being that um, I did everything myself, so I wasn't oh. working with a band on this one. I just hunkered down in the basement and laid down all the parts separately and then did all the uh, post-production myself. So, um, yeah, so it's uh, it's definitely different because it's just like, um, yeah, kind of, actually kind of relearning her back to when I used to be like a solo looping mm-hmm. artist, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's kind of akin to that, I suppose, but, um, but definitely different than my last album, which was like a full-blown, you know, rock <laughs> band um, playing with killer local players and, and uh, making a lot of noise. So, yeah, this one's definitely a lot more chill. Now, I may have missed it, or I may not have. Did you do anything on, like, YouTube or anything like that, even? Were you were you played a song or something, just to give people an idea of what you were working on? Um, yeah, I've been pretty low-key on the video front. I did, however, release a video for Catch the Catch a Breath. Oh. So, um, yeah, so there's, like, a full, like, official music video for that one that can be found um, on my website. This is BirdAM.com. Um, or just, you know, Google search Brit AM, catch a breath. I'm sure it'll pop up. Okay. We're going to take a quick break, Brit. Uh, that was tricky to say. Uh, <laughs> but we'll be back to talk some more about music and listen to Catch a Breath after awesome. nine. My name is Nevea. I lost my foot in a lawnmower accident. Now I teach other children how to play safe. Kids shouldn't play near lawnmowers. Lawnmowers are very loud. The driver wouldn't be able to hear you if you were playing anywhere near. It's very important to be cautious. Whatever game you play, play safe. A message from the War Amps. Learn more at waramps.ca. 
throughout the summer, United Way of Northern BC will be conducting barbecue fundraisers. These fundraisers will take place on a Thursday, Friday and Saturday once a month through September. United Way is in need of volunteers for morning and or afternoon shifts to make the barbecues a reality. To help out or for more information, email michelleb at unitedwaynbc.ca or call the United Way office at 250-561-1040. United Way of Northern BC. Together, we can do great things. Support PG is celebrating its first anniversary by giving you a chance to win. Download and print the Summer Vacation Passport from supportpg.ca, then shop locally through September 28th to collect stickers. You could win one of three staycation packages from Tourism Prince George. Follow Support PG on Facebook and Instagram, or visit supportpg.ca to stay up to date. Get shopping today to increase your chances. The Support PG Passport for your summer vacation, on through September 28th from Support PG. Staying hydrated during hot weather is important, especially during extreme heat. The healthiest way to stay hydrated is by making water your drink of choice. While other beverages can be loaded with calories, sodium, sugars, or saturated fats, straight water is the natural alternative to quench your thirst and rehydrate. Looking for a little flavor? Add a mix of fruit and herbs. More information on hydrating with healthy drink options is available through the Canada Food Guide at Canada.ca. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So, Brett, we're, we're into Phase 3 as of tomorrow for the pandemic. We can get up to 5,000 people apparently now for an outdoor concert. So when is Good Egg Records going to put together a thing with your people on the label and do a concert for 5,000 people? <laughs> yeah, well, well, let's just try for this weekend. How about okay. that? Yep, yeah, sounds yeah, good. let's just pop up. Yeah, <laughs> this is my official invitation. Five thousand people, please come. Give us your money. Um, no, we will probably be holding off on a full blown showcase for a little while, mm-hmm. um, just as everybody kind of gets recalibrated and and getting used to putting ourselves back out there. I think there's um, a lot of eagerness to kind of get out and onto stages, and I think there's also a lot of holy crap, we better get the band together and get jamming and practicing and rehearsing. Rehearsing? um, Why? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, we want to put our best show out there. If people are going to pay good money to come check us out, we want to make sure we're we're slinging them the best tunes we can. So, um, yeah, so I think it probably will be a while. I would estimate probably in the fall we'll we'll host a showcase of some sort um, just to, um, A, just to welcome back, like, you know, socializing in mm-hmm. general and welcome back the students as well because I know that uh, folks who have gone to the university in the past couple years have had really really <laughs> tough experiences mm-hmm. so it'd be great to like host something where like we can really like embrace our student population in this town and and uh, yeah give them a party so is that something obviously I'm not asking you to commit to it right now, but is that something that you're sort of looking at right now is sort of that back to school concert? Yeah, for sure. We're like, we're already looking at booking um, a bunch of the artists uh, for smaller shows. Mm -hmm. So like, I know like um, Crohn's and Brit AM and um, you know, Danny and like all these other people Mm -hmm. on the label are looking at booking shows right now. So um, I think it'll be a quick, 
um, filling of the calendar, probably through to October, I would say. Um, so you can definitely expect to see um, lots of shows um, showing up. Like if, you, if you're on Facebook and you follow the Good Egg Records uh, page, um, then we're always like um, pumping up shows that are coming down the line. And you'll be able to get some good info there. Um, and of course, we'll reach out and let you know um, when things are happening as well. But but yeah, I would say it, it, you could expect uh, September, October, like basically all of, all of fall to be um, quite jammed with shows, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what is the impression you're getting from the other artists on Good Egg Records? Have most of them been taking the time to actually get new music put together, like singing, getting the tunes ready to go? So as soon as the pandemic is a little bit more lifted, they can just, boom, come right into the recording studio and get it done. I think that's the case with some folks, for sure. Like, um, myself, like, I, I just came back from Vancouver doing a recording project down there that I'll be releasing probably late this year. Um, and I know other folks have, like, also been diving into the studio throughout the pandemic um, when they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think everybody's kind of got music that they're kind of sitting on and waiting to see when would be the best time to, like, put it out there. And, of course, trying to manage, like, um, you know, we want to be able to tour these mm-hmm. new albums and, and sort of... Um, build them that way so um i think people are actually sitting on a lot of music that they're waiting for release um (laughs) if not then of course yeah i think people are just starting to get their their sets back in order and um you know it's it's been a really good time to kind of reflect on career but it's also been a great time to just take a step back and rest Mm -hmm. too so i think a lot of people have just been resting which is kind of um not a word that exists in the music (laughs) industry so (laughs) so you know i think it's like it's been a good example of um like we've been able to find a bit of balance through all of this which is great yeah so any have you gotten any idea from anybody with good egg records saying i would be ready to do a show on this date and obviously you can't just do the show on that day. you got to sort of check with the venue and make sure you can do a show. But if you got people who are already getting in touch with you saying, I want to get back on stage. Oh, yeah. Well, there's like definitely, um, that's the thing too. Venues have taken a really, really hard hit mm-hmm. uh, through all of this, right? So like for anyone who's a touring musician, um, they can look across Canada now along Highway 1 and see venues that um, just are no longer there. So it's, um, it's going to take... Um, you know, as far as the touring route goes, yes, there will be some recalibration there. As far as local venues go, um, I think we're, we're sitting pretty. I think most people are opening back up that, um, you know, we've already built established relationships with. So um, for sure, yeah, it's right now just in the planning stages and getting getting uh, those conversations going, for sure. Okay. Britt, as always, pleasure to chat with you. Get the update on what's happened to Good Egg, Rec- Good Egg Records and some stuff to look forward to. Thanks very much for taking the time. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, we are now going to listen to one of the songs Britt was talking about, one of her new tracks, Catch a Breath, from Britt A.M.
song, as she referred to it, from Brit AM. Uh, Good Egg Records. It sounds like they've got some plans for the fall to get back on tour with a lot of their artists, so we're looking forward for that. One quick note before we go. Uh, we had Amy Donjal from the library on yesterday, and she was mentioning the Storytime Walk that they're doing again this year with the Central BC Railway and Forest Museum. They sent out a press release yesterday. I don't know if Amy suddenly realized, oh, I should send that out, or if it just happened this way. But those Storytime Walks actually ha- start on Friday. And if you've got the app downloaded from geotourist.com for Storytime Walk at the Rowan Forest Museum, you take that with you to the Forestry Museum, and you'll get in free, as long as you can show that you've got the app, because then you're going on the Storytime Walk. That'll about do it for today's show. No show tomorrow, because of Canada Day, but we'll be back Friday after 9. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFIS-FM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community 